The History of Literature podcast is a member of the Podglomerate Network and Lit Hub Radio. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hello, it was a question that stopped me in my tracks. Dear Jack, it said, what do you want your last book to be? This will be the last book you will ever read. I had thought I had heard every kind of question about books. Books for a desert island, your favorite book from childhood, the book that made you want to be who you are. Books that inspired you. Books that remind you of home. Books that changed your life. Books you give to others. Books you think everyone should read. Questions that book lovers like to ask other book lovers. And they're revealing, and often they're a bit performative. Maybe they're revealing, but of what people think they should say, not what they actually do think. Here's a choice that will make me seem smart, but not pretentious, or well-read, but not pretentious, or thoughtful but not pretentious, or humble but not pretentious. As you can see, being not pretentious is a very common category when I'm trying to find answers to questions like this. I'd say that I'd look for pretentious but not pretentious. If I was ever trying to be pretentious, maybe that's a category for Mike. But you know those questions. You've seen them in headlines and and so on, magazine articles and little snippets online, I stop every time I see one and check it out. The headline is something like, so-and-so chooses such-and-such, a book for a rainy day, or a book for people in love, or what is the book you wish you'd written? I'll read them all. And, frankly, they sometimes can seem a little bit the same, but this one was different. This one put me in a whole different frame of mind, and I had no idea how to answer. We'll discuss that question and all of its connotations, all of its implications today with our guest, Lori Frankel, and a few cameos from some past guests. That's coming up today on The History of Literature. Okay, here we go. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Jack Wilson. I'm grateful you're here today. It's the week of giving thanks here in the U.S. My favorite holiday with with Xmas close behind or maybe tied. But that's that's pretty good if you're a holiday and you're tying Christmas. Thanksgiving. <laughs> Pat on the back for Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. I love it. I love the food, the family, the feeling of Harvest coming in, the giving of thanks. And in our tradition, well, we have two traditions here at HOL, don't we? Or three. 
One is we depart from our Thursday schedule to come here on a Wednesday. So you can maybe listen while you prepare that food or drive to the store, or maybe you're driving across the country to the house of your loved ones or flying on a plane. Another tradition is that I get all gloopy thinking about the people I need to thank this past year, and listeners are right there with them. But you've heard me do this, get all choked up, and hey, I hear you. It's not for everyone, so let's keep that to a minimum this year. Let's skip right over it. I'm thankful for you all. You've changed my life. You've given... Well, we're skipping over that. No gloop this year. Gloopy Jack, out. (laughs) Our third tradition is our guest today, Lori Frankel, who is the guest I ask the most of, I think. I'm not sure why. She was such a good sport one time that I prevailed upon her for our... FMK Shakespeare episode, which might be the most fun I've had here on the show. That was last year, I think. Mike episodes accepted, I guess. Those are fun, too. Oh, and Bloomy. That was fun. And Margot Livesey is always a treat. You get it. You see where I'm going with this. Jim Shepard. How fun was that? I have to stop. Farrah Jasmine Griffin, probably my favorite guest of all time. Anna Hedner-Sessian was so smart. And we talked about Keats. That's two for two. I have to stop. There are too many. Too many favorite guests. A bunch of them tied for first. But Lori is fun. So we're bringing her back for our Thanksgiving treat, our little holiday gift to you as you toil away. And we're going to be talking about my last book, a new feature. That question from that emailer was part of a long email with 50 suggestions for future episodes, at least, maybe more. Sometimes I get these wonderful emails from super users of the History of Literature podcast, power listeners who are overflowing with ideas about the show, topics, guests, and other what-have-yous. In this case, the what-have-you was not something I had. It was a fresh idea. It was a what what not have you, which I, I mentioned that idea at the start. What do you want your last book to be? The last book you will ever read, Jack. What will it be? What do you want it to be? Well, what would yours be, dear listener? I'm all ears. Feel free to email me with your idea because I did not know what to think. A book jumped out at me, and then another, and then another, and then they all retreated modestly. No, maybe not. Maybe not me. Maybe that was too much pressure for them. In the great army of books, a whole lot of them volunteered, and then when they heard what the mission actually was and thought about it, reflected on it, they looked around at their comrades and said, well, maybe one of you would be better. None of them actually stood out and and stayed out. They were all too modest, I suppose, or too scared. But I have to choose one. I'm selecting one of these soldiers. What do I want for that moment of my life? Who do I want to be with me? What do I want to be? So, for the past year or so, as I tried to wrestle with this question, all these wonderful guests whom you've heard here on the History of Literature podcast, I've been asking them, well, what would you choose? These are smart people and strong readers. By definition, that's how you become a guest here at the History of Literature. You know something about books. You've read at least one or two books. Actually, read 
hundreds, most likely, in order to write the book they've written, and they've given me new angles on how to approach the question. A few surprises came up, and a few... Mm, some people made some cases for books that were already on my short list, and I got to hear their arguments in favor. And today, starting today, we're going to start sharing these snippets with you. So here's what we're going to do. We will have Lori Frankel out to serve as our co-host today, and she and I will be going through four of these responses from treasured guests, and then we'll hear Lori's choice, which is a very good one and very, very funny how she presents it. So our guests are going to be Denisha Smith, who originally joined us, you may recall, for a discussion of her novel, The Prince, A Modern Retelling of the Golden Bowl by Henry James. Will she choose something by the master? Mm, we will see. We will also hear from Shoykat Majumdar, who joined us from India. You may remember his book of choice when he was here for his full episode was D.H. Lawrence's Lady Chatterley's Lover. Will he select something from Lawrence World for his final book. Hmm, we will hear. Our third guest will be Isaac Butler, who was our expert in the Shakespeare variant known as Bad Hamlet, and in method acting and the theater in general. What will he choose? And finally, we bring out Anna Beer, who was here just last week, for that's when the episode ran. She has written a wonderful book, telling the story of eight brave women who were warned not to write and who went ahead and did it anyway. Will she choose one of the eight? Kind of like choosing one of your children, I would imagine. This one's my favorite. Well, you know, sometimes people might have to do that, actually. Which of your eight children do you want at your bedside? Hmm. A very difficult choice. We'll see if she chooses one of the eight or if she taps someone else on the shoulder. And finally, finally... Lori will tell us what her choice is. So there we go. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Lori Frankel, after this. Hey, grown-ups. The Cat in the Hat cast is a new podcast from Wondery, perfect for the whole family. Join the Cat in the Hat and your favorite Dr. Seuss characters as they get whisked away on a new adventure Every week, Fish dreams of creating his very own polite and quiet podcast. That is, until he gets a surprise visit to his Fishbowl podcast studio from the cat in the hat himself. And it becomes very clear that the cat has other plans for the podcast. And those plans are the opposite of quiet. The cat may be disruptive, but it turns out he's also a great help to get Fish out of all kinds of predicaments. Bursting with music, silliness, and rhymes... The Cat in the Hat cast encourages us all to find fun that is funny in every episode. Sing along to new favorite songs, try your luck at titanic tongue twisters, have some fun with wondrous wordplay, and most importantly, bring your family along for all of the adventures in the Cat in the Hat cast. Follow the Cat in the Hat cast on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to the Cat in the Hat cast ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app, or Wondery Kids Plus, in Apple Podcasts. Hello, everyone. This is Jack, here to tell you about a way to eat better and easier. That's right, Factor, and their delicious, ready-to-eat meals. 
These things are amazing. Chef-crafted, always fresh, never frozen. All you do is heat them up and you're ready to go. No prepping, cooking, or cleanup. And you get something healthy, nutritious, and tasty. I love Factor Meals, especially on those days when I'm in the office. They're better for me than snacks or junk food, and much cheaper and faster than buying my lunch at a restaurant. You can choose options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, Keto, and you can change your schedule to get as much or as little as you need every week. Whatever suits you and your family best. Head to factormeals.com slash literature50 and use code literature50 to get 50% off. That's code literature50 at factormeals.com slash literature50 to get 50% off. Okay, joining me now is Lori Frankel, one of our favorite guests here on the History of Literature podcast. Lori, you're a three-timer now. We did Hamlet. We did FMK Shakespeare. <laughs> uh, I, we did, that's, that's all we've done so far, right? Yeah, that's okay. right. That's right. We but, need to do some more Shakespeare. Favorite. Yeah, so maybe uh, let's plan that for 2023. I know we okay. plenty of other plays we can do. So I associate you with Thanksgiving week. Uh, thank you for being part of that tradition. We're going to aim for running this on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. Are you planning to cook this year for Thanksgiving? I am. I am planning to cook this year for Thanksgiving. Mm. Uh, I think I okay. always cook for Thanksgiving. I think I always host Thanksgiving. Uh, um, yeah. And it's, uh, well, except when there's a global pandemic. So oh, I'm really, right. <laughs> um, it's just, I, I love this tradition of chatting with you for Thanksgiving. And I, and I also like destroying my kitchen and, um, you know, cooking <laughs> as much as possible for as many people as I can wrangle up. Okay, good. Well, this is a project that I've been working on for about a year, and I'm going to have explained it all in the introduction. So we don't need to repeat it here. But these are basically the last books that our guests will ever read. And then we're going to ask you for your choice. Okay. Are you ready? I am. Okay. So our first guest is Denisha Smith, novelist and Henry James aficionado. I, I was wondering if she was going to choose a Henry James book. Yeah. Uh, made me think, I don't know. Sometimes I read Henry James and want to die. So I guess... <laughs> <laughs> Yes, very, very appropriate. Yeah. And then I thought, I don't know if I'm on any kind of medication or anything. I'm not sure I'd be able to follow uh, some of those sentences. But but ultimately, I kind of thought, you know, Henry James, on the one hand, I really he would be on my short list because I know that when I read him, I feel like I'm I'm really working my mind and I'm really enjoying it. But I also would worry that he's not life affirming enough yeah, because right. I, I always think of him now as as having this huge hole that he was he's kind of like the the bard of screwing up your life and not letting yeah, yourself right. live enough. So maybe he wouldn't be good. And that's not who Denisha uh, chose. So let's hear what Denisha had to say. We are talking with Denisha Smith, author of the new novel, The Prince, a modern retelling of Henry James's classic 1904 novel, The Golden Bowl. Denisha, this is a question that came to me from a listener. I found it to be fascinating, and I'm wondering 
what I haven't answered it myself yet. I'm wondering what how you might answer it. The question is, what do you want your last book to be? This is the last book you will ever read. You can choose one already published or describe one that has not yet been written. Ha, okay. Mm. Um, you're going to have to give me a couple seconds. Okay. Um, the last book I would like to be reading would be poetry. It would probably be Keats, Shelley, oh. Larkin, Auden, Neruda. Those are some of my favorite poets. And that's, An anthology. <laughs> yes, I would probably be reading poetry. I don't know. Uh, that would probably be it. Yes. I don't know if I've answered it very well, but, but those would be the people I'd be reading. Would you view it as a getting yourself ready to travel into the next world? This is the condition you want your soul to be in? I would view it actually as a kind of comfort. I love the English language. I love the melody, the music of words. And I would be traveling in that through layers of associations and the comforting beauty of the English language, for me at least. And I would remember or I would think about love, being in love, mm. um, the pleasure of being in love, and sometimes the pain, but it's resolution because love is a resolution to me. And that, I think, would be why I would be reading these poets whom I've loved. I forgot to add Yeats. Yeah, we'll add him. Denisha, I know we sort of surprised you with this question. Your answer, I have to tell you, when you were describing it, I got goosebumps. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, well, let's hope that last book is not for many, many years to come. Denisha Smith, thank you so much for joining me on the History of Literature. Okay, I'll say goodbye, and thanks a lot. <laughs> Bye. Okay, so there we go. Poetry. Keats, Shelley, Larkin, Auden, Neruda, Yeats. And she said, a kind of comfort, the comforting beauty of the English language, being in love, the pleasure and pain. Yeah. Which, ah, oh. now we're going to ask you for your choice at the end. So don't spoil I, it. I won't. But uh, poetry is a good choice, that's, right? That's exactly what I thought. Poetry is a good choice. It, <sighs> I will say, by way of teasing it, that I had the answer immediately. Mm. And, and then she said poetry, and I was like, oh, well, okay. She oh, makes a really, yeah. really good case for it. And I do think that it's, I, I mean, it feels to me like a form of enlightenment. Like you've mm -hmm. reached this point in the end where you no longer need plot or character. Yeah. Yep. And you've sort of boiled it down to probably where you started with language, which yeah. is what it sounds like yeah. and comfort of that very pure linguistic experience. Yeah, and there's room for you. It sort of, yeah, it doesn't right. just uh, make you travel somewhere else. Yeah. It is kind of spiritual when you yeah. think of these writers. And what a great list she had, too. I yes, mean, I, that I, if I, I had to have too. an anthology <laughs> with those six in it, I mean, that's... Oh, I'm oh. to read while dying. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, a, it's a brutal anthology. This is all oh, you get, spell. yeah. <laughs> Um, well, yes, they're asking questions rather than providing answers. And, mm -hmm. and I suppose that's where one is at the end. Seemingly more than any other time in your life, you don't you don't know what will happen next. Yeah. And oh, and being in love, the pleasure and pain. Ugh. 
Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. And I loved what you said too, that this was like preparing your soul to get ready for the next yeah. world. It feels to me very boiled down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Almost like if you were reading short prayers or psalms or something. Yeah. I could imagine if, you know, I'm, I'm not going to have a priest who comes to my bedside or something, <laughs> but I could imagine that if somebody visited and read me a poem or two, that it would fulfill similar kind of function for me of putting me in that frame of mind and maybe a little bit of uplift. Yeah. Well, and memory too, that she said, these are poets she has loved and she has long loved yeah. and these are poems she's read again and again. And that's, that's also a really wonderful note to bow out on, I suppose. Yeah. Okay. So next up, we have a novelist living in India, Shaikat Majumdar, who stopped by on the show to discuss D.H. Lawrence's book, Lady Chatterley's Lover, but he didn't take D.H. Lawrence. So let's listen to what he chose. Okay, we are joined by Shoykat Majumdar, who's the author of The Middle Finger and The Firebird, which is also called The Playhouse in the American publication. Shoykat, this question comes from a listener who asks, what do you want your last book to be? This will be the last book you will ever read. You can name one that exists or describe one that has not yet been written. It is such a fascinating question. Yeah. I, I never <laughs> like this. This is quite amazing. <laughs> so, uh, I, you know, if you really ask me, I think I, I probably would like the last book uh, I'd read to be a children's book, you know, uh, because I think, you know, I, I just, I just heard somewhere that before you die, uh, your whole life flashes by before your eyes, like kind of, and I think, you know, Often when you, um, I mean, I'm, I'm in my 40s, so I'm kind of, I guess, midlife or whatever. But when you meet people who are, you know, older, like 70s or 80s, and I often hear they talk about the childhood a lot, memory freezes. And I see there's a kind of a interesting cyclical logic there. And mm. I think obviously old age is a return to childhood. So I am thinking I'd love to read, I don't know, a book like Goodnight Moon, um, which I when my son is eight and my daughter is 12, and they both went through this Goodnight Moon phase. Or, or where the wild things are. Oh, you know, books yeah. like or the books I read in Bengali, you know, the nonsense rhymes of Yukumar Roy. There's a kind of a Bengali classic called Thakumar Juli, which literally means um, grandmother's bag. So something like that, a rough translation. So the grandmother's bag of stories. And these are all stories of demons and princes. And they're beautiful stories with great illustrations. I have this original edition with me. So I think I'd like, my last book to be a children's book and it is a return to not just my own childhood the childhood of my children and i think the kind of final childhood that we are left with when we are old i don't know if i'll be old when i die i might i, yeah. I hope i am <laughs> but i don't know that could come at any time right but, uh, but it would be you would view it as a source of comfort and maybe of a return to simplicity and just the there's something about children's books that there's sort of a purity to the themes and what they're conveying i think children's books are quite terrifying actually oh okay <laughs> i mean i i obviously I, I realized when i started telling stories to my kids i'm like there's hardly a children's story about without death yeah or something scary happening and obviously we know that even this is Apparently, innocent children's poems like Ring Around the Roses are not so innocent. They're yeah, always like, right. you know, they're very, very deadly. So, children's books are actually 
I don't think they're really innocent. They're actually quite dark. Yeah. And of course, many writers have done dark takes on children's books too. And the reason why all these horror movies have clowns or toys in them or dolls, you know, because that's the picture of the doll and the clown. I think it's, you know, obviously with Freud and later with William Golding and all this idea of the child is innocent is obviously kind of gone. But it's not exactly, there is innocence, but the innocence is like, it's like what Michel Foucault says that, you know, like sanity, reason is always defined by that I'm not mad. You know, I'm sane because I'm not mad. So I'm this kind of dialectical haunting by the other. So I'm innocent because I'm not that sinister, corrupt thing that lurks in the dark. So I think children's books for me are always that. that there's, there's always a dark witch or a dark whatever. And they, of course, people, we know that there have been all, all kinds of racial, gender implications too, but even otherwise, there's a sense of darkness. I mean, where the wild things are, I love that book. That's a, you know, such an interesting book, the illustrations, that scariness, and yet it's yeah. funny. It's also absurd. So I think it is simplicity, but it's not as simple as it looks. Yeah, It is a kind of an invocation of a imaginative lyrical darkness for which children have the stomach. You know, they can go back to that space. I mean, again, as two of my novels are about children and the kind of scary memories that they have or teenagers or young adults, I think it's an amazing phase of life. I think artistically, childhood is a time when you are hit by powerful experience without understanding it. And the space between understanding and experience is a great space for art. And children's book, I think, for me, good children's book always captures that. So I'd love to go back to something written for children. <laughs> okay, we'll have Good Night Moon and Where the Wild Things Are viewed through a prism of Freud and Foucault. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't even need to be thought that way. I think you can just read them that the way they are, but they are you know, obviously all, they are not as, not as light and happy as the scene. You know, they are light and happy because there's something outside. Because outside the night, there's, a, there's something scary. <laughs> okay, Shoykat Manjumdar, thank you so much for joining me on the History of Literature. Thank you so much. I'm really looking forward to listening to this and to your future podcast. Thank you for having me. Okay, Laurie. So a lot of guests have gone in this direction, children's yeah. books. Yeah. Uh, a return to the familiar, simple, lyrical darkness. And he's, quote, the space between understanding and experience is a great space for art. Yeah. And a great space for life, too, and reflecting on life. So what do you think of that approach? I love it. I love that approach. That, mm. too, was another one where I thought it wouldn't have occurred to me, but yeah. it's a super answer. Yeah, um, yeah. And as soon as you said children's books, I thought where the wild things are. Yeah. And because, <laughs> Interesting. I mean, yeah. I mean, this is a book that I and many, many people have read so often I could recite it. No problem. Yep. Yep. And never has it occurred to me to think of where the wild things are being in some sort of afterlife. Mm-hmm. But but that read is a, I mean, it's not great for children, but it's a yeah. really, it is a really supportable and interesting right. and revelatory. It's a journey. One. It's a journey. Yeah. And, and it's a journey to the unknown, but it's all going to be okay. You yeah. know? And it's um, all going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that you're going to go somewhere that seems scary, yeah. but it's all going to be okay, is in many ways what all children's books are about and the thing you most want to hear. Yeah. You know, at the end there, yeah. I can't think of anything more comforting than that, frankly. Oh, yeah. And, you know, mom will be there, too. 
right and mom will be there too it's like oh, oh it's that it is that <laughs> oh, uh, tear up. That's exactly you right know <laughs> the other thing about children's books i mean i could probably read the great brain books and be pretty happy too uh, yeah. but the thing about children's books ones that you love is as you get older I have such strong and vivid memories of these books and reading them with my dad or my mom and my grandparents. But then I also have memories of reading them with my kids. And it's almost like these books have been with me at different stages of my life. That's right. Yes. And so at the end, I mean, it's a book ending, it's mm-hmm. like, like bookends, yeah. um, which is, of course, beautiful. And I love that idea, which also hadn't occurred to me before that you read them, that you read them as a child and then you read them to your child. Yeah. And then you read them when you become a child again. It's really quite lovely. Uh, there's something so great about being a kid and crawling under the covers and reading yeah. and that's that's maybe the other thing i'm imagining that i'll be in bed yeah <laughs> it's a great pleasure to be a child and and crawling under the covers and reading maybe with a lamp or maybe with a flashlight but knowing that tomorrow is going to be saturday morning and you're going to eat pancakes yeah. or you know just like like whatever yeah. you have in store for you but in the meantime you get to really enjoy this book yeah Yes, and I love the idea too of the the kind of simplicity of morality. Mm, um, yeah, there's a, right. there's a there's a good guy and a bad guy, and great news, you're the good guy in this story. Yeah, and yeah. that too seems really very comforting. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end, in what is so I feel like often lacking in in stories we are told about the end might be like where you know there's going to be this reckoning on your head um and you can you hope that you've been good enough and and maybe you have maybe you haven't and whereas children's books i feel like that's they are very complicated often and very intelligent but but they're pretty clear on their morality yeah and i feel like that's a good lesson to begin with and it's also a good lesson to end with yeah and you know some of these novels as much as i love them you might end with you know the the walking home in the rain alone um you know and and these it's like you the story might end with a hug or uh eating a hot bowl of soup and feeling like um you know that's there's something very comforting about that there is there's something very comforting about that Okay, so let's do our third one. This is a fun one from Isaac Butler, who's an expert in theater. Okay, Isaac Butler is an expert in theater and the works of Shakespeare. He's also the author of The Method, How the 20th Century Learned to Act. Isaac, welcome back to the History of Literature. It is great to be here. Thanks for having me. So, Isaac, we have a special question for you today, which comes from a listener who asks, what do you want your last book to be? This will be the last book you will ever read. You can either choose one that exists or describe one that has not yet been written. This is a great question. It reminds me of Julian Barnes in his book, Nothing to be Frightened of, which is his book about death, where he's thinking Mm. about death. Mm -hmm. He has a part uh, talking about how his books will live beyond him. You know, he's going to die, but his books will live on. And then he realizes that actually at some point, no one will read them anymore. You know, someone will be the last person to read 
his books and then oh, yeah. he imagines that you the reader are the last person who's going to read this book because you you didn't give it to any of your friends and he right. basically tells you to go fuck yourself so i you know i think i think about that i've thought a lot about this you know is there some book i'm saving until i find out i have 6 months to live or something like that and that's not the case i i don't plan out my reading nearly enough for that to be the case so i hope one of two things i hope it's a book i love and that i get to the end before my end that would be one thing mm. um, but i would also hope you know so maybe the last thing I read before I die is the final draft of a manuscript of the last book I'm ever going to write. You know, maybe mm. it's my own book mm-hmm. and maybe it's not unfinished. You know, maybe it's not like a uh, Proust or Robert Musil or something like that. Maybe I've actually finished it and I'm happy with it. And then I die and then it can be published after I'm dead. That seems that seems great. I get to have all the joy of writing it and don't have to read the reviews uh, or promote the book. You know, sounds awesome. So um, <laughs> I think that's a pretty happy way to go. You know, you finished your last great work and then you're going to just uh, go to the hereafter. That seems pretty fun to me. It's that nice moment where you're actually proud of it. You feel like it's done, a sense of accomplishment and achievement. Um, it's almost like you don't ever have to worry about sales again. Yeah, right. (laughs) Okay, Isaac Butler, thank you so much for joining me on the History of Literature. This was a blast. Thanks for having me. Okay, there we go. Lori, (laughs) is this your dream? Your own book? (laughs) 100% Um... (laughs) it is my dream. Uh, I mean... Um, <laughs> How bad is it to do sales and promotion and read reviews? Is that uh, yeah, uh, it's not the best. Yeah. Um, and I just thought, as far as fantasies go, that's a really, really wonderful one. One of the things that I worry about when I'm in late edits of a book, what if something happens to me before I finish this thing and it goes out into the world like this before I fixed it, uh, and I have this terrible legacy of yeah. you know typos and whatever. <laughs> um, and whereas yeah. this is is sort of the opposite side of that coin. Like I made it perfect and then I let it go and I didn't have to hear that it wasn't perfect. Yeah, um, right. Not having to promote a book is indeed, I mean, it, it does seem like I totally get that fantasy. Um, he, I laughed and laughed. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So Isaac also raised another possibility that it made me think. So what if you haven't finished the book? Is it, reading the book, is that better? And I was wondering... You know, everybody who's approached the question that I've talked to has sort of assumed, well, you get to finish the book. And then I kind of thought, well, would it be better to be, you know, to have a chapter to go or to be somewhere in the middle if you're reading War and Peace or instead of finishing the last word on the last page and closing it, maybe going to sleep knowing that you get to read more the next day and then slipping gently away into that good night. Maybe that's the better way to go. I, I mean, I have to tell you what it what it made me think, which has been perhaps the most mind blowing part of this entire question, is that I have never read an obituary wherein they listed what the person was in the middle of reading, mm. and that is something that I really long to know. It, you know, obituary is awful of this person died of this thing at this age and is survived by these people, whereas it seems so much more yeah. important to tell me what they were in the middle of reading. And I thought we struggle so much with how to mourn, particularly people maybe we've never known. Like I'm still feeling wrecked that Hilary Mantel died a few weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, I didn't know her. I, I have no real place to put that. Whereas if I knew what she was in the middle of reading, 
I could finish it. As could, you know, her thousands and thousands of fans around the world. We could all we could all finish the book she was reading together. And that yeah. that just seemed to me to be such a powerful, interesting thing that I feel kind of amazed that this isn't standard. Yeah. <laughs> like this, I feel like this should be something we should know. Um, yeah, right. Maybe a lot of pressure at the end where you were really sick and you're like, no, no, I need to, I need to I be need in to the finish. middle of ward peace so that everyone respects me after I'm gone. Yeah. But, boy, but I you also, you don't idea. want people to feel sorry for you because like, <laughs> oh, then, you know, it, she never learned that, you know, right. so-and-so was actually the villain or, you know, <sighs> But yeah, yeah, books that were on the deceased's nightstand. Yes, right. Yes, I uh, I hereby put that into the universe as a play because I think it's a really, really good idea. Yeah. Now, here's a question. This sort of takes us completely outside of this whole topic. But do you think you would choose reading as your last activity, as opposed to listening to music or watching a film? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, reading. It's reading. I, I, no question in my yeah, mind. Yeah. Um, if only, I mean, if only playing the odds, <laughs> the odds are really good that I, <laughs> I will be reading a book at any given moment. Um, but it is certainly what I would choose. I mm -hmm. think that, you know, this is why I do this, but I think that you put the best book against the best symphony or mm. the best, mm -hmm. you know, painting or whatever. I, I just think books win every time Yeah. for me. What about for you? Well, I think the big thing is because I am imagining myself in bed that it has to be reading because it's, yeah. if it's a film, I would imagine being in like a favorite movie house or, I see, yeah. you know, and if I had a symphony, I'd be reaching for a book to. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, both would be great, but the book is non-negotiable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay, so lastly, we're going to listen to Anna Beer. Now, we're okay. going to be running the episode with her in mid-November, assuming all goes well with the launch of her book. So listeners will be probably familiar with her voice. They would have just heard her. She has this book on women writers that is unbelievably fascinating. It's about women writers who were warned not to write, but who did it anyway. Oh, and are you familiar with anchoresses? No. Yeah. Do you know what they are? Anchorites no. or anchoresses? So these were women in the Middle Ages who were literally walled into a cell with no way of getting out. And they were there to be devotional. It was they were pious wow. women who wanted to do this. And a lot of these cells were attached to churches. And then you would just know that there was a woman inside there who was just <gasps> praying. And yeah. So Anna's written about these brave women. One of them was an anchoress, uh, Julian of Norwich. And the book is called Eve Bites Back, an alternative history of English literature. And I just really enjoyed wow. the conversation with Anna. And I really enjoyed her choice. So let's take a quick break. And then we will come back and listen to Anna Beer. And then we are also going to hear your pick. Okay, I'm joined now by Anna Beer, whose book Eve Bites Back provides an alternative history of English literature by focusing on eight women writers who overcame the odds. Anna, this question comes from a listener who asks, what do you want your last book to be? This will be the last book you will ever read. You can either choose one that exists or describe one that has not yet been written. Okay, well, this is actually quite a challenging question for me. Uh, in the years, I have 
too much, I think, experience of seeing people read their last their last book. Mm. And I've watched two people I'm very, very close to die in recent years. And it, it is actually something that I've thought about. Does it matter, you know, what you are reading, as it were? And I've come to the conclusion that really to, to read anything, to be able to go outside of oneself, outside of the horror or the pain or whatever is going on as you as you lie knowing that that you are you are dying to be able to escape into the page I don't think it actually matters what's on that page as long as you can still get that release and or be read too which is a very very peaceful loving thing to do so that might be a far too emotional response and far too vague if I was actually pinned down I would astonish myself I I come from a, a family which has three of the great religions of the world in it, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. And I'm going to probably choose the Book of Common Prayer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and simply for the repetitions of Grantas Padona Nobis Pace, Grantas Peace. No, I'm, I'm going to change my mind. Okay. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> this is an impossible question. Whoever, whoever sent this in is... Um, <laughs> should pay for years of therapy now <laughs> oh no <laughs> explore the, um i yes i i think hamlet oh yes hamlet the words of hamlet as a play i think it's a bit disastrous it's far too long it's very difficult form all the rest of it but certain passages of it are absolutely in my blood are in my bloodstream and there is something for every part of life, including death, in in Shakespeare's words. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it has to be Hamlet. <laughs> and Hamlet, to me, always stands out as, I mean, it might be the greatest play ever written or one of the greatest works in the history of Western civilization and so on. But it's not a perfect play. It's got imperfections, but there's room for the reader. There's room for the critical mind to engage with it. And is that something that you would want to, you'd want to have a a participatory relationship with the book that you're reading? Yes, I I think so. I think so. And yes, there are many Hamlets. There are different versions circulating in Shakespeare's lifetime. And of course, being a play, it's not even designed to be read. It's designed to be performed. And I like that sense. The play does go on. And maybe that does come back to to something I was saying about the important thing is to move outside of our ourselves, our own individual tragedies, as it were, and and see a common humanity. One of the definitions of tragedy, actually, is that we obviously we we suffer with the protagonist we're in mm. we are in sympathy we suffer with the protagonist and through that we understand our own suffering and so goodness hamlet as a character hamlet as a play allows us to explore to suffer with somebody and there are no easy answers but there is there is peace a form of peace at the end mm. at least for hamlet And Amir, thank you so much for joining me on the History of Literature. Thank you. Okay, there we go, Lori. (laughs) Whoever sent this in should pay for years of therapy. I thought that was good. (laughs) I thought that was a good line Anna had. (laughs) 
And Hamlet was your pick for your history of literature interview that we did. We'll see if it's your last pick. But I thought the Book of Common Prayer that she had first landed on was interesting. Not as many people have chosen religious books as I thought. Someone had just said the Bible earlier today, in fact. But that was the first one, I think. So I don't know. The Tibetan Book of the Dead is up there for me. Something plain and straightforward, cleansing, holy. But Hamlet, uh, certain passages are in my bloodstream, was another one. She said, move outside of ourselves and see a common humanity. That's a pretty generous way of approaching your final moments. Yes. I mean, I loved that she said, oh, it's got to be the Book of Common Prayer and grant us peace. And wait, wait, no, it's Hamlet. Yeah. Yeah. after I stopped passing out when she said it was a disaster of a play. Um, yeah. I thought the rest of it was so... <laughs> and um, in addition to the fact that Hamlet is, in fact, I would argue, the greatest thing ever written. So, mm. mm-hmm. so why would you... Why wouldn't you want that? It's the top it of is, the mountain. Yeah. It, right. I mean, yeah. So, so aim high. You know, I think Hamlet wants to die. That is mm. what he wants. Yeah. And, and, and he says so pretty early on. And then, and then he spends the rest of the play figuring out how to best and most honorably do so whilst serving, you know, the greater good. Mm-hmm. And that's a really hard thing to do. And it takes four hours <laughs> yeah. to figure out how to do it. And then he does. And he dies. And that's sort of, it is a tragedy, but it is also a happy ending in that yeah. the protagonist gets what he wants and on his own terms. And and I think, well, sure, isn't that what everybody is aiming for? And he wrestles with the question that we're all wrestling with. of We don't yeah. know what's going to be on the other side. Right. And, and we yeah. can't know. We will never know. But, well, we're all going to know. Right. But we won't know yet. We won't know until it's time. And I could see there being something kind of comforting that it's not a guess or uh, a description of, of a possibility, but basically saying, no, it's okay. This is, this is doubt, and we live with doubt. And we're going, and we can't know the answer, so we have to answer as many questions that we, get, that we can know the answer to before we get there. Mm-hmm. There's a really good argument. Yeah, yeah, right. Okay. The moment is here. <laughs> Laurie Frankel, author of One, Two, Three, and Goodbye for Now, and This is How It Always Is, and The Atlas of Love, Seattle resident, lover of Shakespeare and soup. <laughs> what is your choice for the last book you will ever read? All right. So first of all, can I preface this? Or yes. should I just give you my Oh, answer? give me okay. the long answer. <laughs> <laughs> we have time. So you asked me this question. You sent it to me via email, and I knew the answer before I had finished reading oh, the email. Wow! Yeah. Um, which, because it is such a big and and important and difficult and philosophical question, I thought, okay, well, maybe that's not the answer. Uh, um, right. And and so then I spent a long time walking around thinking about whether there was a better answer. Yeah. Um, and I do think, okay, so there are certainly people for whom the Bible has got to be the right answer. Yep. I asked my husband and he said, goodbye for now, which is, he gets a pass because, you know, he's married to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, that's, and, it's, and it really is a book about about death and what and what happens yeah, um, and right. mourning. And so um, it was an appropriate answer and a loving answer. Oh, that, yeah. He's so that's very, very smart. Now, do you, do you <laughs> yeah. think he was strategic was he did he think you were fishing for that <laughs> i don't think so no um <laughs> I, I don't think he was um well i mean 
And in That's fact, sweet. this was my point. What I said to him was, I think there's a right answer here. Mm, um, yeah. And then he gave me that answer, which was not the right answer, but is the right answer for him. <laughs> let me let me just say, I think it would be very fun to have this as sort of like a newlywed game type of scenario where I had couples on and they had to choose the book that they think the other would pick because oh, that would be very right. revealing for uh, literature lovers. Um, that would be very revealing. If, uh, if, if you would guess it right. Did you have an inkling? Were you surprised when he said goodbye for now? Uh, yes, but I shouldn't have been. Mm, um, mm-hmm. It is the right answer for him. It, it, yeah. it, I wasn't thinking about it, but of course it is thematically on point. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it is a very loving and wonderful answer. Mm-hmm. Um, but because I had in my head, I was on this. There is a right answer. Will you get it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, which of course, obviously, there is no right answer. And obviously, it's very subjective. It's just that it struck me when you asked yeah. me, like, no, there is an answer. Yeah. Um, and I spent 24 hours walking around trying to think if I was. Did I, I come to wrong. it too soon? And yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But no, I'm I'm pretty sure I'm right about this. <laughs> oh, okay, I can't wait. I know, what, is wait what is it? What is it? The tempest. I think it's the tempest. I think it has oh, to be. Oh, yeah. Um, and as I say, I think there's no question. I I'm totally sure about this, and here's why. Well, and I also want to say the other thing I thought was it's too obvious an answer. It's not cool <laughs> enough. You know. <laughs> like, um, and but that only convinced me that it was more right. The tempest is a, a late Shakespeare play, and it was written shortly before he died, and certainly you know, at the end of his career and people like mm. therefore to to think about it as being about those things. I do not think that the tempest is about death. I do not think that the tempest is about dying. I think it's about getting ready to be dying. Mm. Um, it is literally about laying down your books, which is exactly the question yeah. that you asked. It is metaphorically about laying down your magic. Yeah. Um, it is about making amends for the wrongs that you have done. And it acknowledges that those wrongs might, might be wrong, wrong indeed. Um, Mm -hmm. That these aren't, you know, that in the course of a lifetime, we have probably committed grievous wrongs and it is about trying to make those better to the best of your ability. And it is about leaving the next generation with joy and love. Mm. And I just think, yep, that's all the things, you know, in addition to to all of the beautiful language and poetry and, and you know, and the things that other people mentioned and, you know, and that you certainly get out of as an example, Hamlet. It's also, though, I feel like the thing I can think of that is most about the process, not about life and not about death, but about how you get from one to the other. Mm, Best, how you yeah. how you get well from one from one to the other. And age, I, I found that aging, if we have listeners who are 20. They will probably think, uh, you know, there's and when I was 20, I thought there was no possible way that I would ever wish that I was 50 and that I would always prefer to be 20. But then, you know, I'm at the age now where I think, oh, I'm so glad I'm not 20. Yeah, there's something about setting aside some of the striving and some of the uncertainty and the anxiety of it. And it just does feel like you get to this point where it's it's kind of a relief to be heading toward that. Yeah. And heading toward that and taking care of things along the way. Yeah. Um, right. That you put off when you're in the middle of things because you're very yes. busy. And, yep. Yep. and so that kind of freedom that comes from from laying it down. Mm-hmm. You know what what Prospero says is 
every third thought shall be my grave. I mean, first of all, I think, well, okay, great. That leaves you two. <laughs> that yeah. leaves you two thirds to think about all of the other things. And I also think of the idea, you know, what he probably means is every third thought shall be of his grave. But I also think it means that, you know, that every third thought shall be grave and shall be yeah. dark and imprisoning and, and close. And that is also a good thing. It's a good thing to think about, but only 30% of the time. Yeah. Right. Oh, boy. So that's my answer. And I feel like I'm going to fight anyone who <laughs> disagrees because I, I totally feel like, nope, that's the right one. Like, we should all be granted that upon our upon our deathbeds. Like, okay, good news. We, we've sent the Grim Reaper to read to you the Tempest or to perform it. it would be super. Now, it's so funny that you say this because I've talked to, you know, 40 people now, some of the brightest literary minds in the English-speaking world, and nobody has mentioned the tempest it's not it's not the common choice that everybody just assumes and that is both gratifying and uh, surprising to me now did your husband think well i know you chose the tempest you know what i i uh, i did not ask him because yeah. i um i didn't want to tell anyone before i told you oh yeah so that yeah. this could be but i but i'm about to as soon as we finish this i'm going to go have this conversation yeah. with him oh so you haven't told him your choice yet Right. I, I only oh. asked his. I haven't told him mine yet. Okay. Um, Good. I didn't yeah. want to. It'll be interesting wanna, yeah. <laughs> uh, to know if he would have, because you felt so strongly. Yeah. Um, it'd be interesting if he said like, well, I assumed you would have taken uh, and then, you know, something off the wall. I could see actually for people who care about books as much as we do, it could actually cause some fights, you know, if yeah. uh, you can imagine if someone said, well, I would think you would choose and then they named a book that you think is actually beneath you or yeah. or not appropriate it could be very uh, you feel like how well do you know me now we're yeah. getting into a uh, uh, short story territory of uh... <laughs> the short story collection also presented itself to me immediately as soon as you said this i thought oh i i see where this could go it's such a big and interesting question yeah okay are, are, oh are you gonna tell me your answer oh well see that's the thing so i did this because I didn't know what my answer would be. And so ah, I thought, okay. I'm going to ask guests and then I will formulate my answer. And that 24-hour period that you spent walking around, for me, yeah. that's been 365 days. <laughs> <you> know, where... <laughs> All right, okay. And I think I have settled on one, but I still want to give it a little more room and uh, hear a few more explanations from other people, because now I feel like I have to read The Tempest. Uh, hopefully I don't keel over, or maybe I should hope that I'll keel over as no, <laughs> soon as it's done. <laughs> I feel like The Tempest is a good once a year play. Like you should, mm. you should see it or read it yeah. once a year. Yeah. Yeah. And has it, there ever been a good film of The Tempest? Ah, uh, how do I want to answer that question? There have been a lot of there have been some good films, yes. Okay. Um, but a play that I think should be a play. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. the, the kind of magic of it is stage magic, yeah. I think. Um, yeah. the, that is, I, yeah, I think it's too easy on film. It's too easy to make magic. Magic on film doesn't look like magic. It just, it just looks like movies. And, and I think that so much of the other thing that The Tempest is really about is magic and the ability to do that on stage where you see the wires, I, I think is, is really what it's about. Mm, right. Uh, okay. So I'm looking up my Shakespeare theater here in DC. I was just going to um, say this. 
Yeah. I was going to say it to you when we finished when we finished recording. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't look like it's coming up this season. They have it, King Lear, uh, you know, you, which I will enjoy. It's at the Roundhouse. Oh, at the Roundhouse. Um, okay, there doing, we go. And you got to get tickets. In fact, you should get them. Like right, you should get off with me, and you should go get tickets <laughs> because it's going to sell out. But it's a uh, Penn and Teller. I unfortunately am not going to see it, though I did make my parents get tickets like the second they went on sale, um, so I can have a blow by blow. But that's what I mean. Like it's about the magic. So and the magic that you can do live in a room full of people. So you know that's infinity interesting. Uh, I think it is going to be the most remarkable production. You should go see it. And then if you wanted to call me after and tell me all about it, I'd be really happy. <laughs> okay, I, it is on my list. Okay, uh, it's quite close to me too. So that is done in collaboration with the Folger Theater. So yes, that's perfect. Yes, it's going to be amazing. I mean, here it's, we go. It's, it's going Maybe to be I'll end this with a little review of it because it looks like they start November 23rd. So I could hurry up and see it before Thanksgiving even. Oh, that would be so great. Mm. Oh, I would love it. Wait, this episode's coming out on the 23rd. So oh, I'm going to so uh, wrap things up and then I will head off to the show. Yes. Wonderful. <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, if I'm not cooking for the uh, all of my beloved guests. Okay. Well, there we go. <laughs> Lori Frankel, happy Thanksgiving. And thank you for joining me on the History of Literature. And you. Thank you so much for having me. This is my absolute pleasure. And you too. And everyone else. Happy Thanksgiving. Okay. There we go. That's going to do it for this episode of the History of Literature. My thanks to our listener who proposed that question to our guests who answered and who have given me much to think about, and of course to Lori Frankel, whose books are widely available wherever you buy your books. Next week, we're expect Oh, Friedrich Nietzsche is one of the episodes. Stay tuned for that, and we'll have a little something-something for you on Thursday as well. This is prime book-buying season, so catch up on past episodes and get some good suggestions there. How about Anna Beer's book? Eve Bites Back. There is likely someone in your life who would like to read those eight stories. And hey, oh, there have been a lot of good books this year and from the past. Plenty of reading to do and progress to make. I'm Jack Wilson. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>